Hello, I'm Anthony Fury. Thanks for joining us for the latest episode of Full Comet. If you haven't done so already, please consider subscribing. Canada's air travel experience is a total mess right now. Just how bad has it become? Well, a Canadian press headline from July 6 read, Air Canada, Pearson Airport, again rank number one in delays worldwide. Worldwide? Like, that means behind airports and countries run by theocracies, third world countries, you name it. We're number one, in a bad way, worldwide wowzers. Look, we've all seen the pictures of the crazy lines and the baggage pileups. We've heard people's laments. Some of us have even run the airport gauntlet ourselves recently. What we've also heard, though, is the blame game. From the federal liberal government in particular, trying to blame airlines, to blame travelers, anyone but themselves. So what's really going on here? I get that COVID put a spanner in the works, but how are we the worst in the world? Our guest today knows the nitty-gritty of how airlines work and how airports work. Duncan D. was the chief operating officer for Air Canada up until 2013, the second senior-most executive for what was then the ninth-largest airline in the world. He was then appointed by the Minister of Transport federally as the air sector lead for the Canada Transportation Act review, which looked at the entire Canadian transportation system. If there's anyone who can help us figure out what on earth is going on, I'm thinking it's Duncan D. He joins us now. Duncan, great to have you on the program. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. This is just quite something. I mean, I got to ask, when you see all of this happening, do, do you say to yourself, oh man, I'm glad I'm not there right now? Or do you say to yourself, I wish I was there so I could fix this? Um, well, I'm glad I'm not there because of the tremendous heartache that is going on right now um, at airports, uh, especially with travelers who are missing out on long planned vacations, families who are missing out on special events, um, you know, loved ones who are delayed for sometimes days uh, trying to get to see people who ha they haven't physically seen in two years. So I'm in some ways, I'm glad I'm, I'm not there for that on a daily basis because I don't know how I'd, how I'd handle it. One thing I'm looking forward to hearing from you is, is the basic how airlines work. You know, my kids have those books that are like how things work and they break it down. And I know a lot of us, we just know our basic uh, traveler passenger experience, but we're not exactly sure how all these things function. I know it's a complicated system, but I also get the sense that uh, maybe what's happening right now shouldn't be happening. Well, it shouldn't be happening. And unfortunately, it was completely predictable. Um, my first public experience with this was on the 2nd of April, which was a Saturday morning in April, when I was personally in a three-hour line at security at Pearson Airport. And when I saw that line on the 2nd of April, it seriously alarmed me because there should be no lines at any airport in Canada in the months of April or May. These are low travel months. Um, and lineups of that length uh, just shouldn't be happening. And if there were lines, something was clearly off. And so what we're seeing now is the result of cumulative delays that have taken place for the last uh, three months. Three months. So help us understand, because to my point about the blame game, there's different elements at an airport. There is the, the government regulations, the things that the government is most directly responsible for. Then there are the private companies uh, that, air, that are the airlines. And then there's these agencies, which I guess report to the government, but they still run their own domain. I mean, how does the who's in charge of what thing unfold here? So that is an excellent question. And, and it's actually 
a very, very complicated answer. And in many ways, we've made it even more complicated than it should be in Canada. Hmm. In terms of uh, the two elements that the federal government is responsible for that are causing a significant part of the delays that we've seen for the last three months, we're talking about air security. So the folks that uh, screen travelers when they board, when they tr- uh, before they board the aircraft, uh, when they get to the airport, and Canada Border Services, which is the agency that screens travelers when they return from an international destination. So if we focus just on those two elements of the process, because those are the two bottlenecks which started this entire thing um, in the first place, you've got a situation where the federal government, in the case of airport security, has created really a multi-headed beast in terms of accountability and who's really responsible. So in Canada, unlike in the US and many other countries, we have the regulator, which is Transport Canada. They're the folks that write the rules. Then you've got CATSA. CATSA is the Canadian Air Transport Security Authority. These folks, their only mandate is to negotiate contracts with private security screeners. So wherever you go in the country, a different company is responsible, a different private company is responsible for managing the individuals that perform the physical screening of travelers when they get to security. And so CATSA, the Canadian Air Transport Security Authority, negotiates agreements with a variety of these private companies. And then these private companies in turn, negotiate agreements with the various unions that govern the working relationship between the actual screeners and the private company. So in Canada, we've created a system which has multiple heads. And because of that, you end up in a situation where no one is really accountable. So a traveler facing a three-hour line at Pearson one morning, who do they complain to? Well, the first line of defense is the uh, private security contractor responsible for the screeners. You go to them and why are we in a three hour line? They say, well, we've been given the resources that that, uh, we have and obviously there's not enough screeners here. So you should complain to CATSA. And so you write a letter to CATSA because nobody knows where they are. And CATSA then says, well, we negotiated these contracts based on the appropriation we received from Parliament based on the standards that were established by Transport Canada. And so they say, go to, to those uh, groups for your complaint. And so you write a letter to Transport and Transport Canada says, well, the regulations we have in place to govern the standards of the security system at the airports has been established because we want to keep everyone safe. So isn't that the ultimate priority? And then you ultimately have parliament, which appropriates the money used to screen travelers. So in this instance, who do travelers go to? Where is the blame? And who is held accountable? You literally have finger pointing embedded in the system that the government's designed and to ensure that there is no accountability. So, you know, Anthony, we're faced with a situation in Canada in, in many ways of our own making. And that is a very, very long answer that is uniquely Canadian, because if you ask me who's responsible for security in the United States, I would say the Transport Security Administration. 
And that's where the buck stops. In Canada, we have no idea. Now, Transport Canada recently sent out a press release trying to explain away the problem as, and I'll quote, in Canada, June 2022, air traffic, uh, air departure traffic was 58 times higher than it was in spring 2020. In comparison, global travel volumes are up more than eight times since the low point during the pandemic, and airports across the world are feeling the impact from too many flights, didn't know there could be too many flights, to not enough staff, there is no single reason for these delays. So that's, you know, kind of their answer. Oh, there's a lot of stuff going on and no one's really to blame. What do you make of that as the sort of driving rationale? Is, it, is that basically an accurate explanation that uh, things have just yo-yoed up and down and, well, they can't really deal with it? I think really it's a bizarre explanation. How many businesses in, on the planet, let alone Canada, compare their current activity to the de- depths of the pandemic? If you take a look at what's happening in air travel in Canada, the min- let's just use the Minister of Transport's, Federal Minister of Transport's own words. The Federal Minister of Transport said back in May that he had 90% of his pre-pandemic staffing at CATSA. So the screeners, he had 90% of his pre-pandemic staffing. He also said at, in that same interview that he had less than 70% of the pre-pandemic passenger traffic. So passenger traffic is indeed higher than it was during the depths of the pandemic. Why? Because during the depths of the pandemic, borders were closed and there were restrictions on travel. Those restrictions were lifted. So to try to compare what's happening now to what happened during the depths of the pandemic is really curious. And then his own comments where he said that he had 90% of his pre-pandemic staffing. So what he's effectively said is, is he has more staff now processing fewer travelers than he did before the pandemic, which would be the normal comparison. And even then he said, as he, need, he, he now says in fact, that he needs more staff. So the question, the minister needs to answer is, why did CATSA become so inefficient over the course of the last two years, where in the past, they were never a great agency, but at least we didn't see the delays we are seeing now. But the situation is such that he's got more staff processing fewer travelers, and the delays are, as you said in your introduction, record-breaking, not in North America, but are on the planet. So, Duncan, when we think about really long lines, we think of, I don't know, our experiences at the grocery store where it's like they don't have enough tails open and you're getting frustrated and people are starting to make some comments. And then eventually the manager notices and then you hear in the PA, can Bob and Shirley please go to the counter? And then they open two more registers and then, oh, things start flowing again. And, you know, I understand how problems arise in these scenarios. What I think a lot of people are having difficulty understanding is how is this airport situation persisting for so long and for weeks? Like, surely there are quite a few people who are paid big money to solve these problems. So just do it already. Well, not only are a lot of people paid big money to solve this problem, but Canadian travelers pay the highest air security surcharges on the planet on, the, on their ticket. So Canadians have the privilege of paying the highest security charges for what for the last couple of weeks has been the world's worst on-time performance for air travel. And so what does that mean? The situation at a grocery store like you described is a perfect analogy because at a grocery store, if you have huge lines, 
you're able to redeploy staff and get those lines moving much more quickly. If you don't have enough staff, you try to hire new workers to come and help you out. So the federal government has talked about adding first 650 new screeners, and then it ballooned to 850, and then now 1,000. After they said they didn't have a staffing problem. So they finally realized it was a staffing problem after several weeks of denial. The problem, though, is that every worker at an airport needs to be screened before they're able to have a security badge to work at an airport. You see them whenever you go through an airport that every single person that is an employee has a badge around their necks saying that they're entitled to be in the secure area. Well, the same people managing the security for travelers are the same people managing the security for airport employees and the screeners themselves. And so what does that mean? Well, it means that a security screener in the pre-pandemic days was waiting about a month to get their background checked so that they can be provided with this badge. Now it takes them a month before they're even able to get an appointment with Transport Canada to complete the security checks and several months after before they get their badges. So you've got a situation where the bottleneck is doubled. The same people responsible for bottleneck one, which is the screening of travelers, happens to be the same agency responsible for the screening of the screeners themselves. And so you have a situation where even if you wanted to deploy more staff today and you were able to hire and train that staff over the next couple of weeks, there is still a third layer before the staff can actually deploy And unfortunately, the people responsible for getting those staff in place in the third layer are responsible for the delays we're already seeing, and they're not moving quickly enough to get those barriers removed. Wow. I mean, to what degree, well, you used the phrase early on, predictable. I mean, we obviously shut down so much of travel, so we had to scale down massively, and there are all these ripple effects that happen, but I know the airlines were looking forward to scaling back up again why was it not anticipated, oh, hey, we're going to have to do all the logistics that are consistent with a scale-up? Well, that really is the reason for my personal frustration with what's been going on, because it puzzles me that the airlines filed their schedules last fall for this coming summer. They started selling seats for those flights earlier this year, if not the end of last year. They communicated with the airports, the agencies, the government, as to what they were anticipating for the coming summer peak. In fact, internal documents that were reported uh, in the media in Ottawa indicated that the Canadian Air Transport Security Authority in their planning documents showed that they anticipated a three to four-fold increase in the number of travelers 2022 versus 2021. So they knew there was a huge pent-up demand for travel, a potential increase of between three and four times um, in comparison to 2021 in 2022. And for some reason, they decided to do nothing. But the final warning came in early April of this year when alarm bells were being rung. I was one of the very early alarm bell ringers, but other industry groups also joined the chorus. They asked for plans, they asked for changes, 
And the Minister of Transport's very first response, and I believe listeners will remember this, was to blame out-of-practice travelers for the lines <laughs> they were seeing at the airport. You don't well, know how to take off your shoes anymore. You've forgotten how to do that. Right. And, you know, the, the thing, Anthony, that I think has happened is not that we have out-of-practice travelers. We have out-of-practice screeners, and we have out-of-practice government bureaucrats. They seem to have completely forgotten how to get things done. And if people have any doubts as to whether or not that's only happening with the airports in this country, they just have to look at the passport office, where the lineups are equally bad, and they've been bad for much longer than they have been at the airports. The, the crisis at the passport offices started almost six months ago. The crisis at the airports started about three months ago. And yet we have governments that's the only solutions they can come up with are solutions which are frankly creating other problems. What about this idea of pausing random testing? Okay, we're no longer going to randomly test uh, vaccinated travelers. Just a bit of a timeout and it's set to return. Okay, well, middle of July, man, are you going to have your problems fixed by middle of July? That's really only days away. At the same time, a lot of voices in the airline industry saying, can we just drop all of this stuff entirely right now? To what degree are these COVID rules uh, the primary challenge here, secondary? Where do they fit in all of it in the bottleneck process? So earlier we talked about two different bottlenecks. One is security, which has nothing to do with COVID checks, thank goodness. Um, and we talked about international arriving travelers having to go through customs. And that is where the second bottleneck is taking place. And that second bottleneck is almost entirely related to the COVID pandemic checks that are still going on at the airports. The airport authorities have identified those processes as contributing to a quadrupling of the amount of time each and every traveler takes to be screened at customs compared to what they were being screened at before the pandemic. Quadrupling, or, wow. Quadrupling. And so unless the government either makes the process simpler or they add a requisite number of, of resources, meaning staff, to process this system that they, they, decide, they decided and designed would be used for international arriving travelers, then they're inherently accepting that there will, in fact, be tremendous queues. And so what you've got in the case of the uh, pandemic inspections still going on at the airports is when you have a quadrupling in the amount of time for each and every traveler. So a person would normally be screened within 30 to 60 seconds pre-pandemic. That is now ballooned to upwards of four, sometimes even five minutes. When you end up with that situation, unless you make up for that inefficiency by adding a similar number of staff, in which case you'd be talking about quadrupling the number of agents that you have to do this, then you're basically, it becomes a pure mathematical equation. You end up with huge lines, huge delays. And in the case of Pearson and Montreal, their buildings were never designed for that type of a delay. And so the, the only answer they've got to, to do things like meet national fire code restrictions is to keep aircraft off the, the buildings at the airport. So aircraft are being told to stay on the tarmac in what is used during the wintertime as a de-ice pad 
and they sometimes stay there for upwards of three to four hours after they've landed before the travelers are allowed to get off the plane at the airport where they join a two or three hour line. People sitting in an airplane for three hours just because they don't want to violate the fire code by having too many people in a hallway. Too many people in the hallway, too many people in the customs hall. And I think travelers um, probably don't look around (laughs) very much when they get off the plane and into a customs hall. But we're talking about massive convention-like rooms. You know, these are not small, tiny little cubicles. We're talking about massive rooms that because of the delays, the quadrupling of the time it takes to inspect each and every traveler is overcrowded. So could you imagine an overcrowded Toronto Convention Center where they basically stop people from entering because things are proceeding so slowly inside? It's hard to imagine. It is really quite remarkable that we're seeing all of this. We'll be back with more full comment in just a moment. In your estimation, do we need these COVID rules right now? A lot of people in the industry have said, let's pretty much just do away with all of them. Should we just do that? Well, look, I am not a medical doctor. Um, I happen to be a dad of two medical doctors. But um, if I look at what's going on right now, there were, there were four very well-renowned infectious disease physicians who came out about 10 days ago to say, let's just end these inspections because they really add nothing to our understanding of the pandemic in Canada. So whether or not I believe that they're uh, useful, these infectious disease doctors have basically come out and said, no, they're no longer useful. And as a layperson, I question the usefulness of an inspection for a two-dose vaccine where the second dose is almost or over a year old. So you have a situation where part of the delay is a customs officer in Canada being mandated by the government to verify the vaccination status of a traveler, where the first dose is for sure a year old, and the second dose is very likely at least 10 or 11 months old, or even over a year old. And we all know about the diminishing um, effects of and usefulness of uh, vaccines after a certain period of time. And yet the government still wants to know whether somebody got their second dose sometime in May or June 2021. And so whether that's useful or not, from a scientific perspective, I'll let the scientists opine on that. But it's certainly not useful in terms of travel restrictions when it's causing a fourfold increase in the amount of time to inspect each and every traveler. And listeners might not appreciate why it's taking that long. But when you ask a traveler to to provide their vaccine certificate, Canada took several months to come up with its own plan for what a vaccine certificate should look like so that they would look the same in New Brunswick as they do in British Columbia and in Ontario and in Quebec. Well, the world has a cacophony of these um, certificates in multiple languages. They also use vaccines that are completely different than what we've got here. There are vaccines from, from China, vaccines manufactured in Cuba or in Russia. And so when an officer has to scrutinize a document that is not standardized in any way, shape or form with vaccines that are not well known in Canada, you can quite easily see why it's taking them four times longer for every traveler to be processed. 
Now, Duncan, I had to chuckle when the government made great fanfare saying, we have a big announcement. We're going to solve all of this. How are we going to do it? We're putting together a committee. Ten cabinet ministers are all going to come together. It made me think, well, how many liberal ministers does it take to change a light bulb kind of question here? I thought, wow, is this is this really the thing that's going to solve the problem, bringing in people to have meetings and invariably write different briefing notes and a report and then have a meeting to discuss the report? I mean, what are the productive pathways forward here? I, I feel like committees really are a slowdown, not a speed up. Well, I think, I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head. Only Ottawa thinks yet another committee is the, the way to solve a problem. And to reinforce the point you've just made, one of the things that the committee has come up with as part of their mandate uh, to shorten the lines at the passport office is to issue a request for proposals urgently because they need more chairs at the passport office. So, you know, they're not talking about increasing the number of staff at the passport office, uh, increasing the number of counters that are servicing Canadians at the passport office. They need more chairs at the passport office. So go to the chair store, 90 minutes. I'll I'll get reimbursed by petty cash. Exactly. And so if you can just think about what's happening at the airport, the initial response that um, the airline and airports uh, used to try to cope with three and four hour lines at security is to ask travelers to show up three or four hours earlier for their uh, flights. So that's a great solution in the short term to eliminate these three and four hour lines up at security but they create a whole host of other problems at the other end. Um, And so, you know, these task forces and um, these committees that Ottawa loves creating, you know, first of all, they they create these task forces after the public finds out about the problem, not when the problem is first identified. And they point to the task force as their action plan for getting things resolved. But, you know, they've done nothing for five months. So what is a task force going to do at the passport office. They haven't done anything for three months at the airport. And so a new task force is supposed to figure out what to do at the airport. And so it's, it's an exercise in frustration, but the, it's, it would be much funnier were it not for the fact that travelers are really suffering here. You not only have these delays and disruptions at the airport, you also have travelers who, have, who are completely missing their property. You know, these are travelers who check their bags in likely with valuables in them, or at least emotionally valuable souvenirs or things that they really um, treasure, suddenly disappearing into thin air because of the tremendous delays and cancellations we're seeing at Canada's airports. Now, Duncan, I know you've referred to how this has been inevitable sort of a few months back based on planning for this summer's travel season. Also, when I look back to headlines, for instance, one from January 2021, CBC headline, ailing aviation sector pleads for aid as Ottawa considers new travel restrictions. Industry and union representatives telling MPs about sector-specific concerns. It goes on to predict how there will be an atrophying, a yo-yoing of the workforce as people go in different directions, uh, potential brain drain from air traffic controllers who I guess are in high demand and ours are well-trained here, so maybe they can get money, uh, more money at, at a different country. To what degree are these two-year-old, one-year-old, 18-month-old uh, schisms at play now as well? Well, I mean, are they directly uh, resulting in what we're seeing today? Yes, but not as greatly as the problems that were identified three months ago. 
the difficulty with the industry in Canada in terms of the uh, assistance received from the government was yes, these were significant levels of assistance in terms of dollars, but the federal government waited way too long to actually do anything about assistance to the industry. Whereas the US and several countries in Europe provided their industry with huge infusions of support very, very early on and continued throughout the process, Canada waited so late that only a handful of Canadian airlines actually decided to even access that aid because it was so late in coming. WestJet, for example, has not accepted a single cent from the federal government in terms of the aid because it just came too late. And WestJet said, look, I mean, we, we, you know, we can't use your money to fix anything anymore. Air Canada took the aid and quickly repaid it a couple, after a couple of months and never even accessed the bulk of it because they decided that there was no need to do it because the aid just arrived way too late. And as you pointed out in um, your question, one of the challenges faced by the industry at that point were, like in every other sector of the economy, very senior and experienced staff who were looking at the pandemic upheaval in front of them and basically deciding that, you know, do I still want to be a part of this? Should I not just take my money and run and retire and decide that now is the time for me to go? And that's, the, that, that's true for pilots. It's true for air traffic controllers. There w- was a wave of retirements. And, you know, young new workers entered the industry. Absolutely. But you and I both know that experienced workers are worth more than a brand new rookie who's still learning the ropes. And so that's part of the problem that we're seeing today. Is the airline sector less safe now because of those dynamics? Well, I've got to say the one thing that we've, we can count on in Canada is a very, very strong safety culture at every airline that operates in this country. And I would also say that that's the case for the regulator. So when you look at safety records anywhere on the planet, Canada stands head and shoulders about, uh, ahead of above most countries. And that's because of the culture of safety we've got at the at the uh, airlines, at the airports, and at Transport Canada. And that's why right now you're seeing things like maintenance delays. You know, when maintenance delays are, are announced, it's because an airline has not signed off, signed off on the airworthiness of a particular aircraft, that somehow there's something that's going on with that particular aircraft that needs to re- be repaired before it's allowed to operate. And that's one thing that Canadians should be proud about And that's one thing that hasn't diminished, at least as far as I can tell, during the course of the pandemic. Well, that's at least nice to have have some positive notes uh, from all of this. Uh, Duncan, I got to ask before we go, if I can have you break down what your specific action plan would be for the resolution here, a prompt resolution. I know you were previously uh, appointed to... Uh, the review of the Canada Transportation Act review. So let's say uh, you're someone who's appointed, you get the phone call, all right, Duncan, we need you to solve this. We're we're creating this position or whatever, a quick resolution team here. We're going to give you as much authority as you conceivably can have over uh, the different elements at play. What do we do? How how do we expedite this? Well, Anthony, the the difficulty we're facing now is that 15% of the summer peak is now behind us. We've only got about 60 days left in the summer peak and the clock is ticking. So any solution that is put forward now 
has to be activated with a push of a button. So I would focus on the things that can have an overnight impact on the lines, the cancellations, the disruptions that we're seeing. In terms of inbound arriving international travelers, the quickest and most effective thing the government could do if they're not willing to cancel these pandemic checks altogether is just to suspend them for the rest of the summer. Stop doing the Arrive Can app, stop doing the return of random testing on the 14th of July, stop verifying vaccination status. We would be alone in stopping that. Most of Europe and the United States have either done that or they've outsourced the verification of that to airlines which have used electronic ways of verification. You can't get a boarding pass for a flight to the United States unless you've upload, uploaded or verified your vaccination status online with the airline. But once you get to the customs officer that's admitting you to the United States, they don't bother with a secondary vaccination check the way Canada does. So let's stop that now and you will see an immediate improvement in the lines at international customs for arriving travelers. In terms of the security lines, the immediate thing that can be done is listeners may not know that pilots and flight attendants are screened just like average travelers. So the people that operate your aircraft are the ones that you entrust your lives with when you take an air, uh, a flight. They are screened just like you and me. Their liquids are measured, their shoes are taken off. And so those things require resources at both Toronto and Montreal airports. There are special rooms dedicated just for the screening of crews. If we cancel that and join the rest of the world, there are many countries in the world in canceling that, you free up resources to send to regular screening. You mean the rest of the world doesn't actually screen the, the pilots? In, in, in many, not all countries, but for example, in the United States, pilots and flight attendants are treated as part of the air security system. So mm. they've, they're known as known crew members because their backgrounds have been checked before they're even provided with their badges to operate the aircraft. You know, there's an absurd little thing, Anthony, that um, listeners may not know, that the one thing that sits behind a pilot in the flight deck is a fire axe. So an, a, a pilot getting to the airport, going to a security screener is checked for the length of their Swiss army knife blade <laughs> and how much mouthwash they've got in their mouthwash container. They get through that screening and they pass it with flying colors. They get to the flight deck of an aircraft and sitting right behind them is a fire axe. Here's your weapon, sir, should you choose so, to use it. Exactly. And so we, we, it, this, is, this is theatrics. We are not making the air system safer by spending very scarce resources on screening people who, if they wanted to do something nefarious, don't need the permission of a screener at the airport to do so. And the great thing about the system in Canada is we've done a very, very good job of screening these pilots, both at Transport Canada and at the airlines, to make sure that they are P 
people we can count on with our lives when they're operating the planes. Duncan D, this has been such a fascinating conversation, so many details that we really couldn't get from from hardly anybody else. So I thank you so much for joining us today, and I know you've been an advocate for uh, getting these messes cleaned up promptly. So I know Canadian travelers, thank you as well. Thank you so much for having me. All the best. Have a great day. Thank you. Full Comment is a post-media podcast. I'm Anthony Fury. This episode was produced by Andre Pru with theme music by Bryce Hall. Kevin Libin is the executive producer. You can subscribe to Full Comment on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, and Amazon Music. You can listen through the app or your Alexa-enabled devices. You can help us by giving us a rating or a review and by telling your friends about us. Thanks for listening.